Before we get started, I just want to make a reminder to everybody that the information uh, discussed today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, and objectives are different. Please consult investment advice. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get keys into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 30. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Rich Diaz with Acorn Macro Consulting and everyone's favorite boomer, Keith Dicker with Ice Cap Asset Management. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Uh, a bit of housekeeping update on the Looney Hour live event in Vancouver on May the 12th. Um, we have actually changed Audible Pivot. Um, the event is out now at the Vancouver Rowing Club. Yeah, uh, just in Stanley Park off the water there. It's a fantastic venue. Uh, to be honest, the the switch is has a lot to do with the venue being just way better. Um, I don't know why we didn't look at it from the get go. Uh, because I mean, for, for first is the beers are seven bucks and not nine bucks, so um, that that definitely helps. And uh, so, anyways, will be an update in the event. Anyone that's purchased a ticket, uh, there will be an update. It's only like an extra five, six minute drive from, from the original venue. So uh, fantastic location. It's going to be tons of fun. Again, appetizers, plenty of cheap booze and um, just some, some good fun here. So we've got about 25 tickets left. Um, I imagine once we drop this podcast here, they'll be gone pretty quick. So um, if anyone is wanting to get in uh, and still wanting to come to the event, May 12th, uh, starting at 5 p.m., and we'll probably wrap it up around eight o'clock, but um, it's going to be just a lot of drinking and, uh, of course, a live podcast, but um, go check that out. So well, let's get into this week's show, um, gentlemen, which is what everyone's talking about, uh, the, the U.S. Federal Reserve. Um, Jay Powell coming out, 50 basis points. Um, I mean, I think it was kind of priced in, right? Everyone was kind of expecting 75 basis points. Um, I think the one thing that maybe surprised a few people or maybe the markets, you guys, I'll certainly let you guys talk to that, which is uh, Jay Powell kind of talking down the idea of a 75 basis point rate hike, <clears throat> saying that wasn't really in, in active discussions at the Fed. Uh, but basically, you know, he said, well, listen, we're going to do 50, we did 50 basis points today and, and 50 basis points should be at the uh, should be on the table for discussion at the next uh, couple meetings. So. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you guys take away from the, from the sort of speech. Um, Keith, I don't know if you want to take it off first and foremost. I didn't watch too much of the speech, just kind of watching some of the U.S. commentary there on Twitter. Um, so, I mean, what was your kind of takeaway? Yeah, so uh, it's kind of interesting because, you know, as, as, a, uh, as, a, as a professional money manager, you know, we have access to information that most people don't have access to. So it, it was uh, I always find it interesting to see the market reaction and then what media will create as headline news. And then I also like watching or following social media, what everyone tends to believe happened and what didn't happen and, and stuff like that. So uh, this is where we'll set the uh, set the tone straight of what, what really happened. Uh, so first of all, yesterday, the Federal Reserve, they cut interest rates by, sorry, they raised interest rates by right, half had a, a panic attack there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rich is like, oh. uh, no, by a half of half a percent or 50 basis points. And just for everyone to realize that a normal change to interest rates by the developed world 
is a quarter of a percent or 25 basis points. So you, you may have read or heard people yesterday saying, yeah, they did two hikes yesterday. But, you, know, you, might, you might hear that sometimes. Uh, what they also did, they, they provide a guidance when they're going to start doing quantitative tightening. So that means they're going to start withdrawing uh, another form of stimulus that, that, that's out there in the market as well. So the whole market was anticipating for uh, a hawkish central bank. And we said before, when a central bank is hawkish, it means they're making less money available, more expensive to get money and stuff like that. And if you're a dove, it means you know, uh, you, you're, you're making money cheaper to buy, easier to get, and so forth. And we've talked now for a while on, on the show that, hey, the whole world is, is turning hawkish, but the biggest hawk out there is the U.S. Federal Reserve. And uh, we've also mentioned on, on the show here that when the U.S., when the Americans start doing that, you know, uh, it, it's going to suck money out of the emerging market world. And, you know, Hannibal Lecter is going to come and take richest lamb, you know, to slaughter. So we're starting to, to see that here. And uh, come on, Rich, you know, you normally respond to, some, to a chuckle at least. Well, I just think emerging markets are outperforming and we can argue about that later. But um... OK, that's enough. But moving on, <laughs> the, so the big thing yesterday and, and the bit of misinformation and misdirection, um, the market was expecting a half a point increase in rates. So 50 basis points, half a percent, whatever you want to call it. And there were some rumblings that maybe they would do 75 basis points. And a lot of people on social media and elsewhere are saying, hey, yeah, the market was expecting 75. They didn't do it. That's why the market rallied and stuff like that. That's not the case at all. That's, that's completely false. That's not it. Media will always have to find a headline story to try to describe why the markets behaved a certain way, one way or the other. But markets were absolutely priced in for 50 basis points and some quantitative tightening. Really on the quantitative tightening side, it was a bit lighter than what maybe where people were hoping to see. But but this talk about 75 basis points, uh, that, that's nonsense. That, that's just people coming up with a guess, trying to you know jump over each other. And the question was specifically asked to uh, the Chairman Powell during the Q&A if they were going to do 75. And he, he said, no, with 75 is sort of out of the question. And, and that's sort of what gave markets, okay, a, a green light to, to go where they did. Um, for the Federal Reserve to do 75 base points, it means it is an extreme crisis or emergency. And whereas a lot of people right now might say, yeah, this is a, a crisis, it's an emergency and stuff like that. In the central bank world, it is not. It, that, that we're not we're, in March of 2020, we were, because you know, liquidity stopped, countries couldn't borrow, provinces couldn't borrow and, and stuff like that. So that was an emergency. Right now, you know, they're trying to reset expectations for, um, for inflation and pricing and stuff like that. Uh, my two cents worth on, or two loonies worth, yeah, on uh, why the markets moved the way they did. Oh, <laughs> Every, everybody was, you know, long the U.S. dollar yesterday. So there's short equities, there's short, you know, euro, yen, Canadian dollar, Aussie dollar, emerging markets, you, you name it. It, it was, and, and everyone's made a lot of money on this over the last 10 or 12 trading days. It was just an opportunity to take some profits, reset. And I think Rich and I were chatting earlier today and we said, yeah, and yesterday that's the way it was going, but you want to see what the follow through was like today. Now I'll let Rich describe what the follow through is happening today. So by the way, today's Thursday for us recording the show. So uh, how's that Rich to tee it up for you? 
Yeah, no, what's going on right now um, is murder and mayhem. <laughs> the markets, as I see it, always 15 minutes behind. I'm not rich enough to have Bloomberg live prices like uh, like good old Keith there. But 15 minutes ago, the, the S&P 500 was down 3%. And I think what's more fascinating is um, NASDAQ and all of this sort of long duration tech stuff is 4% which is um, which is just really the, the stand 4.3% if you want to be technical about it, um, which I think is just really kind of, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's fun for me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's never because I'm, I feel like I'm on the bit on the right side of this, but um, especially the tech stuff, but I think it's more interesting, I think is, is sort of the whipsaw, you know, some people on Twitter are saying, you know, back to sort of reiterate with keys was saying, it was like, why did the markets rally yesterday? And I think, you know, when things are priced in, you sort of get, um, you get that, you know, that we had positioning was, is an important factor. Um, you know, people, I think people were positioned for a surprise. And um, what that means is you might, you know, buy some protection um, in options or, or in futures. And then you sort of unwind that um, if you, you sort of get the desired or expected result. Um, the technicals, a similar thing, and, and sentiment um, also, you know, sentiment was poor and, and this idea that it was supposedly dovish might have contributed to that. I think you also get a lot of spivs. Spivs is a, you know, is a, um, is a, is a very British term for people who are, I mean, it's kind of a derogatory term for a sort of retail trader who may not be exactly clear on, on, on what's going on in the market. I'm um, a the spiv. That, <laughs> um, there's some, uh, working in London, England, there's some great, um, there's some great terminology for traders, whether it's good or bad, professional, otherwise. Um, yeah, you work long enough there and you got some, you learn some really good ones. But the other thing I thought was really my only takeaway, just because I, I think it was more or less expected. So I didn't really, I didn't watch the press conference. I just sort of was, I'm sort of bored by that. But was the comment about Volcker, um, who Paul Volcker, if you'll remember, is the tallest ever Fed chairman. Um, and he, um, and he did his part to combat inflation in the eighties, um, in the seventy late seventies and eighties, he was Nixon's, uh, fed chairman anyway. So one of the things I took away, I saw someone, um, you know, he, and he said, you know, who is an, an admirer. So what Powell said, excuse me, was that he was an admirer of Paul Volcker and he had the courage to do the right thing. Um, and I think that for people who are, you know, interested in buying tech or, or think that those long duration assets are going to be able to, you're going to be able to bail them out. I think there's more pain ahead, um, for exactly that reason. I think that there's, um, I don't think the fed necessarily wants to create a recession or destroy value. Um, but you don't, sometimes you don't always get what you want. And I think that, um, by doing the supposedly right thing, I think that there's going to be a lot of destruction of value and certainly in those sort of frothy assets. Damn it, Rich. I'm a spiv. I, uh, <laughs> funny story. Like, keep buying the dip, but it keeps dipping. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah. Anyways, that meme. I got a funny story for you. I, uh, what was, it, what was Shopify at? Was that like 1400 oh, bucks? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. A lot. 16, 16. I don't know. I bought anyways. No, I, I, started, yeah. I started adding at 600 and I was like, well, it's down 70 or 65. And now, uh, now it's at 400 today. So it's, uh, it's getting crushed. I ended up buying a little bit more. So uh, anyways, I, I'm a, I'm a dip buyer that keeps on dipping. So don't take advice from me on uh, trading stocks. I prefer to focus on real estate because I feel like I actually have somewhat of a competitive advantage there. Um, 
speaking of U.S. mortgage rates now at the highest they've been since 2009, I believe. So um, anecdotally, what we're, what we're hearing is, is a lot of, uh, you know, or not a lot of, very little of housing activity, um, similar to Canada, except I think what, what's important to sort of understand in the U.S. is in 2009 or 2008 through to 2012 is that, is that the U.S. consumer delevered, right? So um, they went through a lot of pain, financial crisis, bankruptcies, et cetera. They somewhat cleansed their balance sheets um, by going through a lot of pain. In Canada, we didn't do that. So we still have these very high levels of household debt. Um, and that's why, like, you know, you look at Canada, I mean, what did U.S. home prices fall on a national basis? 30, 40%, something like that. Um, you know, in Canada, in the US? Think, yeah, yeah, in the US, yeah, US. Canada, I think we dropped about, I think like officially I have to pull up the number. It was, it was, it was 10% or less. It was like negligible. It was a dip for about nine to 13 months. And we just kept going. What happened in Canada was we basically papered over. Um, there was actually policy measures that were put in place to ensure that the banks continued to lend. Uh, and they actually jammed out a lot of really stinky mortgages uh, in 2000, 2009 to keep the system from falling and collapsing. But with that, we never actually cleansed household balance sheets. So that's why I always say like Canada is much more rate sensitive, um, at least on the household side to, to rising rates. And, uh, you know, today we have, uh, the Canada five-year bond is up again. Um, again, it's actually the highest, uh, right now it's at almost 2.9% right now. So new high in the Canada five-year bond, which means mortgage rates are going up again. Um, we actually have an update on that as well, because I think it was is this week. So officially the lowest advertised five-year uninsured mortgage rate in Canada is north of 4%. So I think it's 4.09. So like officially there was still like a couple of weeks ago, there were still a couple lenders here and there. And if you knew somebody, you know, you could still get like a mortgage sub 4%. And now like everybody is north of four. So uh, keep that in mind. Keep also in mind that the Bank of Canada will probably raise rates um, another 50 basis points in June. We actually, I don't know. Do we get to Matt? Do we get to the BOC's comments last week? I don't remember, but um, so that, that variable rate mortgage will go up another 50 basis points uh, in June. So you'll, you'll, you'll basically have your variable mortgage will be 3% come June and your five-year fixed mortgages will all be north of four. So um, I expect more carnage in the housing market. We're seeing significant sell-offs in uh, suburban properties in uh, Ontario and as well as in BC. I don't know if you have any thoughts. There's there. another. Well, I was, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Rich. Oh, Keith. Rich. Keith, Keith, sorry, Rich. I, just, I mean, there's one more thing. I mean, as we watch the market, um, you know, Keith will tell us, he'll try to convince us that the market's selling off only because the Fed's raising rates. I think that that was largely priced in. I think what, what, um, what we should add as far as color is concerned is I think China's um, insistence, stubbornness, uh, intransigence on COVID, I think is something that I um, think we should also flag, highlight, uh, and talk about, which is, um, and today they're, they're PMI. So they have a, <clears throat> a cash-in, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's C-A-I-X-I-N, Services Purchasing Managers Index fell to 36. So um, you know, this is a diffusion index. I'm not going to explain what that is today because Keith will just never let me live it down. But the point is, it's a survey of managers, purchasing managers, um, people who work for companies, 
and they ask you, you know, how are you feeling about your future, your prospects, um, your the like your inventory levels, your customers, how what's your employment strategy? Are you going to raise wages? Are you going to lower wages? Are prices going up or down? Anyway, so they <clears throat> there are different companies. You know, ISM is one, Ivy is another one, Casim is another one, NBS is another one, IFO. There's different companies, either um, nonprofit or otherwise, that do these kinds of um, surveys for virtually every single economy in the world. Um, they're very important. They're usually um, pretty unbiased. They're mean reverting, which means, you know, you, they, they, they tend to, um, they, you know, usually below 50 means your, con- your economy is contracting and above 50 means your economy is expanding. Anyways, all this to say is the largest economy on a purchasing power parity basis, China, has just had um, a huge chunk of its economy hit basically the lowest level since 2005. Um, so this is, so it's, it's PMI is now, I think it's services PMI is now lower, um, you know, than it's almost as low, if not lower than it was during COVID. So it, you know, we can talk about the Fed all we want, but if the largest, you know, producer, exporter of goods, one of the largest processor of minerals in the world, one of the largest consumers of oil and et cetera, et cetera, just is, you know, insisting on this COVID zero policy, which again, is not going to work. Um, You know, that's a really, really important drag on global growth, not to mention what's going on in Russia. And then on top of that, you know, you've got, you know, Keith's bed noir, which is raising rates. Um, You know, I think that it's, it's, it's really, you're sort of getting a trifecta of, I would argue, policy errors, errors that are contributing to the risk off, off moment. Um, and I think, you know, um, we should talk about um, the Fed and mortgage rates, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's we have to highlight the Chinese China thing, too. Well, I mean, I was going to chime in, which is like. I don't see even by raising the Fed funds to two, two and a half, three, like I, just, I don't see how you like I don't see how they're actually going to get inflation down to two percent. I mean, yes, there could be a huge crushing recession, but um like so much of this is, is ultimately supply. Like if, if China continues to be shut down, like, and you continue to like screw up these supply chains, like it, it, it doesn't really matter. And not only that, but I mean, let's talk about like the bigger, let's talk about the bigger macro dynamic at play, which is like the re onshoring of uh, supply chains or manufacturing, um, which, which seems to be underway, this sort of de deglobalization narrative that that's kind of underway. I mean, to me, that's structurally inflationary, is it not? Keith? Rich? Uh, maybe, but just a just comment. <laughs> Tell us how you like, really feel. <laughs> do you like that? You know, one of the things, you know, if you're ever asked a question, you, you never answer the question. You just answer whatever question you want to answer. Are you are you running for office, Keith? <laughs> yeah, it would. My God, I would do a great job. If I was, <laughs> it would just be one person with a lever and I would just move it up and down. Uh but first of all, though, back to the whole view, it, it has not been our view that raising rates, that's what would cause everything to, to, you know, to roll over. That, that was a component of it. So the main thing is when you get a slowdown in all the stimulus that was taking place from the pandemic, which included you know, raising rates, is, is just, it, it, it's just a reaction to what happened. But all the stimulus was from expanding the central bank's balance sheets and then the fiscal stimulus, and all of that is rolling over. And then when that combined with the supply chain disruptions, uh, that's what's creating the inflation out there. And 
as, as we said before, it, it's our view that central banks are raising rates because I think politically they're being forced to do it. I, I still think if you, if you sit down with these guys, um, you know, one-on-one or one-on-five, whatever, which way they want to do those things, uh, you know, they, they would say, yeah, you know, raising rates is not going to do anything. Because remember when the Fed raised rates yesterday, the market was already there. Yeah. Like that had zero impact on the cost of funding anywhere in the world. Because everyone that that's where the market was. Remember, they're 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 playing catch up to it. Um, the most important thing right now that was what Rich introduced or reintroduced, because we talked about it a lot last week, I think, is what is happening in China, uh, and and Japan is toast as well. Another concept to sort of lay on top of this or uh, think about. I don't know if you if you guys are if you've seen the story, but yesterday the the EU suggested or they're they're moving into the direction of preventing global shipping companies uh what's the best way to word this uh Uh, to preventing global insurers from insuring the oil tankers that are carrying russian oil it's actually really clever it it is yeah i I think it is as well i don't know if they now it's europe right so they'll screw it up right some way they they can (laughs) do it because the europeans are not very such a hater yeah, we well, just lost our last a... European listener. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> the French are up Mared Creek, by the way. Um, but as an example, like the European, the EU, they still haven't spent any money from their pandemic stimulus that they pass. Like, it's, they're just not good. But back to this this whole uh, directing insurers not to insure these, um, the, the, the oil freighters, uh, the, the cargo ships. If, if you have one of these ships, the moment you leave harbor, and if you don't have any insurance, wow! And then you, you, you go under as soon as if you hit an iceberg. If you hit an iceberg, <laughs> or someone rams into you, or you can't. Or a Greenpeace the, kayak gets in your way. <laughs> yeah, or you can't fit through the canal or, or something. So it, it, it this is a, a, another complete change in direction. We're in the same direction, but a different avenue for this whole. You know this this this, this hot Thor- war. Greta that we're, I know it's a cold war, but, but we're heading towards a, a hot war. You know, most likely it seems like it. Uh, this is yet a, another step. So we we combine that with what's happening in China, and again, it. So just remind everyone when we first started the Looney Hour. Uh, by the way, I think the first episode was 48 minutes. I think one guy said, "Hey, I got gust on that one. It's supposed to be an hour, but we've done better." Inflation, uh, baby. I know it's coming around everywhere but with you know it's it's been our view uh not collectively it's just where we end we ended up is that central banks will, will raise rates until they're not able to anymore there's a, a financial accident happening and 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 that's right where we're headed so you know again as managers we like to watch where the markets are moving and where the next big trade is coming up and you've heard me before mention that you know there are really effective ways to to, to benefit when a central bank has to pivot on what policy they're using, or if they have to stop it altogether. And, and that is now shaping up. So, I mean, the, the next big uh, Twinkie bet that we'll have coming up is, you know, when does the Bank of Canada stop raising rates? And um, I'm not prepared oh. to tell you today when it's going to be, because I have to get my trades ah. on first. But we, uh, I think we'll come up with that with maybe uh, maybe next week in Vancouver. We can, we can I've got it, yeah. That, Speaking of the Bank one. of Canada... <clears throat> I love dunking on these guys. So let's give you guys a quick update. We had um, a speech this week uh, from Deputy Governor at the Bank of Canada, Carolyn Rogers. Uh, She says, quote, 
We need higher rates to moderate demand, including demand in the housing market. Housing price growth is unsustainably strong in Canada. So uh, there you go. Only about 18 months behind the curve and uh, tightening into a massive slowdown. Um, activity is, is halted here, uh, like I said, quite significantly. You know, it's crazy. I was actually chatting with um, probably one of the largest financiers in Canada. Uh, they're not a big bank, but like outs- outside of that, they just do an insane amount of volume. Um, just housing? Like, is it just housing or is it uh, commercial? It's, it's a lot. It's a lot well. in the commercial space. Like cool. that's, you know, um, and he's like, yeah, he's like, we, we, he's like, we're not approving anything like no deals, nothing. Um, he's like, we might, we might, we might not pen a deal for six to 12 months. We're just going to sit in our hands and, uh, and watch this unfold. And, and they, like, they're huge, right? These guys are just looking and waiting and licking their chops for an opportunity. Cause like the tightening of the screws is happening and, and they're just going to basically pick up the dead bodies. Um, but you know, when I hear like a massive company like that, that's just like, Nope, we're not, we're not, we're not signing off any deals. Um, that's just like these behind the scenes, like the tightening of financial conditions uh, is underway because I think everybody kind of sees the writing on the wall. Um, Keith, Keith's waving. Good question. Uh, you say, so they're keeping those deals on their books. Is that what you said? No, they're not like signing off on new deals. So like, Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, they get like obviously like a plethora of like opportunities across their desk. Like they're they're huge, and he's like, yeah, no, nah, nah, we're good. Um, so you know, when I when I hear like anecdotal things like that, and it's like, yeah, okay, like there's there's knock on effects of that, and and we're gonna start to see it. Like so, everyone's gonna get pushed further out on the risk curve. Um, you know, it's the same people, same thing. Like I always think about like people, like let's just say you know the your average Joe six pack that maybe bought and you know, financial conditions are changing, you know, for example, one thing that people aren't quantifying on the residential side is think about all the, um, think about all the people that are on like alternative lenders, right? So like in Canada, you got like, we call them B lenders, right? So the A lenders would be like your RBC, your TD bank, your B lender is like your home capital group and your equitable group. So those are like basically a lot of the times they're people that just can't get approved at the A lenders or they're like entrepreneurs, business owners that don't necessarily show high T4 incomes, but they've got, you know, big corporate balance sheets. Um, so they tend to be a little bit more risky. Most of those loans are like one to two year terms. So like a lot of these guys that are going to be, you know, renewing, um, you know, th- today are, are basically seeing a doubling of rates. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of short term rate turnover in Canada, right? It's not again, it's not like the U.S. where you have these thirty year terms, you lock in for thirty years and you're good. You know, in Canada, there's a lot of there's a, just a lot of turnover. Um, so I think there's a lot of, like I said, I just think there's a lot of pain to come. There's going to be a lot of shock, and that's going to really slow um, disposable income spending. So, thank God. To, just uh, to- Oh, wait, I got to throw this in. Thank God the, the Canadian government didn't issue a bunch of one and two year <laughs> bonds in the middle of the pandemic. Go ahead, Keith. <laughs> I think you're being facetious, right? I'm assuming I am they did. being so facetious. Yeah. 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 Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, they're no different than... So, but a couple of things I want to talk on. I talk about uh, stagflation in a second. And then the other concept is, you know, a lot of people may not be aware of how mortgage issuers work and, and what they do with it. So uh, so Canadian banks and then the, the non-banks that are also lending it and so forth, 
so if if I'm a bank and I uh, I I give out mortgages to people, I now have it on my book. So I now have credit risk. So if if you're not able to pay me back, I have to take a loss on that. And I don't want to take a loss. Banks are not in the business of giving money away for free. And they're definitely not in the business of taking, but losses do happen. But one thing you can do as a bank or as another mortgage originator, that's what we call it, is that when, when I sell you your mortgage, sorry, when I give you, lend you money, sorry, you're, I'm giving you money for your mortgage, whatever. I can bundle up all these mortgages into a package like a bond, and then I can resell that to somebody else. So I can take the risk off my books and give it to somebody else. And usually that's someone else is a pension fund, for example, or uh, like a, 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 a bank bond fund or, or something like that. So this plays next into this whole stagflation theme. So stagflation means um, inflation is going up, but growth is declining. So if, if inflation is going up and growth is increasing, I mean, say, maybe you'll make enough money to offset the price increases. Stagflation means that prices are increasing, but your wages are not, and overall economic growth is slowing. And this is what I suspect will be happening in Canada very soon. So this is something for us. Again, it's another situation where Canadians need to be aware of, you know, your surroundings. Be a good sensei and, you know, know what it's like in your room when you're out there. By the way, I, I achieved a, a purple belt a while back in that space along with your velcro suit i know <laughs> i gotta wrap it around tight right is it, it karate on. keith or taekwondo the uh, karate oh very good yeah i wasn't don't, cro don't cross keith at the event <laughs> whenever whenever they had the uh, the sparring at the dojo and people could choose who they wanted to spar against i was everyone's favorite partner everyone <laughs> wanted to fight me for some reason maybe what we'll do at the event is do a get you liquored up and do a, a chopping block. You got to cut one of those blocks in half of your hand. That could yeah. be one of the uh, loony hour events. Come see oh. Keith break his hand. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Back to the Canadian, be aware of your surroundings. So, you know, we, uh, you know, economic data is backward looking, but you know, growth in the U S just had a negative print that that's what it was. Richard with us that, you know, the, the data coming out of China is also turning, it's slowing, whether it's negative or not, you can take it for what it is. Uh, growth around the world is slow, is slowing and the central banks are still raising rates. We're going to end up seeing less growth here in Canada. It, it's just a, a fact the way it will go. Some of the Canadian data will look pretty good, but that's because we're just, we're just exporting oil, right? That's, that's where the good numbers are coming from. So, we need to be aware that one of the, again, as I mentioned, one signs that we would look for all the time is we want to see if the banks are selling off any of their mortgages. And they, they announced that. They released, you can see the data. So the moment you see one of the big banks, and it could be BMO or TD or, or anyone, right? You see them, yeah, you know, they're, sell, they're announcing they're selling 200 million in uh, mortgage-backed securities. That that's a sign for you as, as a Canadian and investor that, hey, banks are now starting to get concerned about risk in their lending portfolio. So again, it's just another way for you as an investor just to try to, you know, piece things together. And I think that's where we are headed. I want to, I want to, I want to be positive here. And um, although I agree in, in, I think the China thing and the Russia war and the Fed sort of intransigence, um, the U.S. being the only sort of cylinder in the global growth engine firing, um, and and Keith laid out sort of a pretty grim 
you know, um, outlook. And unless those three things change, I agree with you, things are going to get worse before they get better. However, there's still places you can invest to make money. I mean, I know this is not, you know, you should, you know, um, get some own, get some advice on your own, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to disclaimer, foul. A disclaimer, exactly. <laughs> but I think that there are certain, um, there's ways you can hide. Um, you know, we've taught, I've gone on length about energy sector. And so I'll avoid, you know, boring you guys with that specifically. But I think, you know, you know, there's, um, you know, there's sectors that are literally called defensives, which have outperformed cyclicals i mean Toronto not everybody has condos <laughs> not everybody has the luxury of not being invested i mean that's true for my my institutional clients if you tell them you know markets are going down and they say okay rich but we have a mandate we have um you know an investment policy statement that says we have to be in 80 percent equities and uh, so the you, we're not allowed to hold you know 30 or 40 percent cash so what do we do um i sort of treat my own personal book in the same way to sort of force my thinking. Um, and there's some, you know, there's literally ETFs that are defensives. Um, what are those defensive sectors? They can be utilities, uh, healthcare, consumer staples. And although they might not, you know, go up over the next little while as we're dealing with these sort of negative impulses, they'll def- they have started to outperform. Um, it's my view personally that they will continue to outperform. Um, value is another, you know, we've talked a lot about value versus growth. It was one of the sort of the high probability events. I think if I remember our December, um, our late December podcast correctly, we talked about the rotation from value to growth value has held up relatively well. Again, if the world goes into recession, it probably will fall, but at least it will fall a lot less than let's say tech, which is getting absolutely hammered. We're at 4.8 right now um, on, um, on the uh, NASDAQ. So negative 4.8 on NASDAQ. So, I mean, there are places that you can hide um, in the equity market. Um, you know, people like Keith and myself can probably guide you through that. I don't know if, is there a, same, sim, is there a similar thing in, in the housing sector, Steve? Like defensive, yes. d- defensive places or defensive Yes, you want to hide Toronto pre-sales is the safe bet for you. Really? Are you joking? <laughs> no, I'm totally joking. Uh, oh, okay. That's like the that's like the <laughs> that's like the risky futures contract. Um, I mean, I think that's what you're I seeing. Love, to- I love a lot of things about Rich, but I love it when he's just naive about some of these <laughs> like jokes that we put on. Really? Even I know um, that market is a yeah. Uh, no, but you know, in in all seriousness. Um, you know, I mean, take it, take it for what you will. But I, I think that like, I think we're actually kind of seeing that play out, which is like, I think yeah, that's why you're seeing like these Toronto investors, like, where are they going? Like, why are they rotating? Why are they buying Calgary? Uh, I, I just think they're just like, ah, oh, well, it's Toronto looks kind of like it's kind of tapped out. Growth is slowing. Like prices aren't going up anymore. So let's go pick up like big yields in like Alberta and like, you know, Saskatchewan showing up on people's radar. Like, I, you know, so I think that's like the value trade. Like you're not really going to get a lot of price appreciation in those markets, but they're like, well, if I can, I, I like real estate. I want to keep investing in real estate. So if I can pick up a, a bigger yield somewhere, that's like the value trade in, in, uh, in, the, in the housing market. Steve is a, a yield guy, big yield guy. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big, big yield guy too. <laughs> <laughs> big, big tobacco. That's my, that's my jam. I just want to, uh, balanced, know, like one, out, one balanced out with Shopify. <laughs> Uh, you know, sort of just tagging on to what, what Rich said, though, like, you know, we're having a successful year and one, th- you know, the difference between like what, what we do and what, what Rich's shops, what Rich's shop does, um, 
you know, the majority of our clients are not institutional clients, like they're, they're mom and pops, like individual investors. So we, we can't treat investors as a institutional investor. And so that, that's one of the great opportunities that Rich has on, on that side is that, you know, they're able to, you know, move around from defensive and, and stuff like that and cyclical, non-cyclical. And on our side, we just have to avoid risk when it's there because individuals, you know, at, at 10% loss is still a 10% loss, right? It doesn't matter yeah. if the market is down 20, you know, that they, they have that. Um, but you know, like, even though markets are a bit crappy here the last few days, uh, you know, again, there's a lot of successful opportunities out there. And I think that's one of the messages that we, we try to share all the time. I know I've been a bit bearish uh, recently, but I think it's been justified because of what's happening. But there are always opportunities. You can say make... it, Keith, you were right. <laughs> well, th things are going to shift. I, I, I think we're going to get, so, so again, like equities are down pretty hard and over the last number of months. And we're, we're going to get to a point soon where it's, again, like for our strategies, uh, you know, we, we've been equities light, if you want to call it that, very tentative going into equities, especially with new clients over the last number of months. And because uh, we, we know that that moment is coming. And when that moment comes is when, you know, everyone's capitulated, they're, they're getting out. Meanwhile, like we're backing up the truck, like we're ready to go. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're feeling around in, in that space. I, I still think, because remember, we've yet to have the financial accident, right? Everything is, is moving like maybe one will happen. And hopefully it doesn't happen. And then we can do, you know, continue on from there. But again, just, just people, everyone just, you know, sort of appreciate that there are always opportunities in the market, especially at extreme moments in time and that that's what's building up here right now yeah i just want to add something so you talked about financial assets uh, accidents excuse me i think that's a really good point so one of the kind of uh, accidents that i'm sort of waiting for and something i've keyed in on is um the credit market um so you know um Steve touched on credit market sort of from a retail perspective, you know, individuals that are going to, they want, they want credit from more institutional or corporate perspective. Um, we call, we consider credit um, corporate bonds. So corporate bond issuance and trading. Um, and then how you assess, you know, the viability or the attractiveness of a particular corporate bond instrument is you look at something by, um, like spreads. So the spread that you might get over a risk, a quote unquote, risk-free instrument like a government bond. So, you know, you might have a high yield corporate bond and it gives you X amount of yield, let's say 10% and the government bond is 5%. Then you have a spread of um, 5%. Or if you want to impress a girl, you say 500 basis points. Oh no, um, here we go again. <laughs> um, one thing, so talking about financial accidents that haven't happened yet, and something that I'm keeping a really, really keen eye on, and if you follow me on Twitter, I'm sure I'll let you know when it happens, is that corporate bond spreads, either in the high yield space or the investment grade space, even in the AAA, uh, which is the highest rated investment grade you can get, um, spreads are actually really, really still quite tight, or let's just say they're in within their long-term average. That is to say that there has been no financial, real financial stress in the credit space. Um, and I think it's important for two reasons. One, it can give you a real indication of whether it's going to get really bad or how bad it is, et cetera. But the other thing is that we often, I'm very guilty of this, speaking all the time about equities, 
we, I mean, I think it's more interesting, but the truth is the bond market is orders of magnitude bigger um, in aggregate than the equity market, uh, probably twice as big. Um, or three or four times. I mean, I'll, I've screwed that up, but it's basically the bond market, whether it's government bonds or, or corporate credit is much, 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 much bigger than the equity market. Um, and so that's really important to recognize and remember. And so, yes, you know, on Twitter and between us, we always talk about equity, but something to keep in mind, mind on is how important the um, bond market is. And specifically, I'm waiting for that financial market accident that Keith laid out, which is that corporate bond spread blowing out and hasn't happened yet. I don't know, Steve, if you had something. Uh, no, I mean, I was just curious. I mean, Keith, do you, like uh, timing wise is so difficult, right? But like how, how far away are we from that? Well, I mean, like, you never know what, so, so again, like the uh, money manager will work in terms of probabilities. Yeah. And nothing is ever zero or 100%. I know, some things in life are, of course. Like I think one of the biggest opportunities for a uh, a social accident coming up is is Richard Diaz walking up to a bar. But back to the financial world, five hundred basis points. <laughs> I can't wait to see this guy in action. It's going to be fun. <laughs> uh, but with, you know, Rich is right here in that. Rich, maybe you can share credit spreads for both investment grade and high yield credit with, with everyone on. Yeah. for the podcast um but something breaks like they say and you know as you know like there, there's never one cockroach like there's if you see one there's there's a whole bunch of them and uh like we know china right now like their their property market is is kind of struggling you know to, to be to be kind <laughs> to be about polite. it <laughs> to be polite yeah and i i suspect that opportunity is increasing elsewhere and maybe it's canada like australia is it's at the same level as Canada, but even probably more extreme. Maybe the Australian market oh. gets hit. But I continue to see the Europeans as the market that just goes kaboom in the middle of the night. And so that's that's where I think the, where the you know the problem will originate from. Merit did Creek. You, did you see that uh, that article circulating around the Aussie property market? Um, so the um, the opposition uh, government in Australia was proposing to help people with their down payments on their homes. So they were saying, yeah. get us, uh, get us elected and we will help you by 40%. They're going to provide up to 40% of the down payment uh, or 40% of the purchase price <clears throat> to buy your home. And so like, I don't know, I guess trying to keep the Ponzi alive. Just the, just the, just the fact that the, that, idea <laughs> would be floating around government is like utter insanity but uh i mean hey granted in canada nobody really i guess is aware of this or really keeps note of it but we do have a shared equity program in canada as well where the government now helps young buyers with their down payment so it seems to me like that's where government is is ultimately going is trying to long-term support the asset values of the housing market and by doing so it, it's yeah. another. So, if the Australians are success, successful with that, and I, I doubt the the party in power will do it, but and the Canadians are watching this, the Brits are watching it, and like everyone is watching, and say, "Hey, what a great idea!" You so know, it's and it's all about socializing the bad debt problem. So, you take bad debt instead of having one segment of the population be responsible for their own bad debt, 
um, you know, they're going to spread it around, let everyone, you know, feel the, the joy of having to pay for it, you know, and I, I, that's just an example again. Well, again, like I guess to reiterate, Canada already has uh, through CMHC a shared equity program. So AKA you put down 5%, Canadian government puts down 5% interest-free loan. And when you, when you sell and prices are up because they never go down, uh, the government takes uh, five, a 5% equity stake. So AKA if the, if the property appreciates, you know, a hundred thousand bucks, like they get a little bit of cherry on top. So that, that we do have that. It's just not widely used at this moment, because to be honest, I think most first time home buyers like, well, I'd rather get my gift from mom and dad because they're not going to take an equity stake. Why would I give up the upside? I'm going to get rich. So um, that, that is what, what we already have here. So. What about the downside? The U- Are they? The oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, the downside, sorry. Keith, is yeah. shared between you and I. We pay for the downside. <laughs> that's so- that's socializing the bad debt problem. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. CMHC. Sorry, Rich. What were you about to no, say? No, I was going to say that the you. Oh, I just sorry. Just a quick um, a quick add on, which is the UK also has a similar program called it's called the Help to Buy, um, and you put up five percent of the deposit, and the government adds like 15 or 20 or whatever the number it is the numbers don't matter it's all the same type of program they add uh, let's say 15 percent, and then you get with that um 20 loan um you can then go put a deposit on a house etc cetera, etc cetera. um you know it it's funny a lot of these uh i'm gonna say it again i'm bringing myself in trouble a lot of these nominally like sort of left-wing um, you know, social um, programs, forgive the political anachronism, but you, you guys get what I mean. Um, basically just, what is it? You socialize the, the losses and privatize the profits. Um, and I can assure you, that's not what capitalism is all about. I mean, that is not the way it's supposed to work. It screws with signals and incentives. Um, and I mean, I can go on and on about why that's a dumb idea. But all I want to say was, Keith, that the, the UK has a similar program. Well, so that's it then. We figured everything out. <laughs> yeah. There she was. Gone. There she was. <laughs> 500 basis points. Um, <laughs> it definitely worked. It'll definitely work. How about this? If that works, you guys have to eat a Twinkie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Imagine owning, imagine owning part of your house with daddy Trudeau. It just doesn't sit well with me. Um, but, I mean, I, uh, I sort of get, I understand, like, I understand why it sounds like a good idea and why it might be politically appealing. And because, you know, it's, you know, you want people on the ladder and, and, but the issue is, you know, ultimately other taxpayers are paying for your, <laughs> your two car garage. I mean, it's just, and, and, and what's also screwed up about that is it's generally sort of the already doing okay class the the sort of that lower middle class that already has a decent job already has a decent wage that might be able to front the, the meet the minimum that you would need for the government to come over the top it's not the lowest of the low it's not the you know working class people who will benefit from that um and so that's um it just sort of entrenches a lot of the problems that we've, we've been seeing that's my view on it anyway yeah but it doesn't this come back to like the whole the whole bigger picture which is like listen We've got so much debt, right? Asset valuations are so high because central banks, every time they, they, they start to fall, central banks come in and it's like pump that they're basically now they're beholden to asset prices 
And so the only way to sort of keep the game and the system going is to get to a point now where governments start helping people basically buy housing with, um, you know, printed money is ultimately what it is. It's just government issues debt to hand over to little Johnny who then goes to buy a house with that money. So that's just kind of the point that we've now reached. And again, this is coming back full circle when we talk about Fed raising rates, 50 basis points, how far are they going to go? Fed funds to 7%, 8%, Paul Volcker. It's like, again, when you've got asset prices where they are and the amount of global debt circulating around the, 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 the world, it, it's not a sustainable system. And ultimately, this is why we talk about financial accidents. Like, yeah, it, it, there we're going. Something is going to get triggered. It's really just a matter of of when um, and how far that they can get before something starts to go. And you know, we've kind of alluded to in the show, which is you know, you're hearing these anecdotes of lenders saying, "Yeah, you know what? We're good. We're going to sit on our hands." And and that's sort of the the, the beginnings of ultimately, um, I think, the cascade. So, I mean, that's kind of how I look at it. I mean, you have to agree. There's a there's a few distractions out there in the world today to, to keep you uh, not focused on this whole debt problem. And you know, I I do th- I do ex- believe that at some point in the future, everyone will look back and say, "Oh wow, yeah, it, there were a lot of distractions created, but the underlying or overriding problem was this was this debt bubble was there." And we reached the end of Keynesian economics. You know, it's game over. They're trying to, to come out of that. You know, of course, it's creating all of these uh, distractions is, is the word, I think, to use. But uh, anyway, you know, I, people that know me know I I'm like to be skeptical about a lot of things. And I think today there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical uh, about a lot of the stuff that's happening out there. And I think if you're able to see that and appreciate it, again, like I I think it's creating, like Rich keeps talking about the energy markets, for example. And uh, like for us, I I like to see oil come come down a bit. I think it does have an opportunity for that to happen. And uh, like that, that's something I would be very positive on in terms of an investment perspective. So uh, again, because of the opportunities being created right now with, in terms of volatility across so many things. If you're a patient investor and you're not afraid to buy when it's ugly and you're not afraid to sell when it's, you know, blue skies up there, I, I think this is one of the most uh, potentially profitable times to be alive in the market. It's, it's exciting, you know, be excited about it. Well, I, I mean, I was going to add to, it's just to that, to that point is like, yeah, there's a great piece this week that I was reading from uh, John Malden, Malden Economics. I mean, I think he's a pretty, pretty well-respected guy. Um, you know, he wrote this funny piece, which was like, listen, like there's, there's 400 PhD economists at the Fed with a budget of hundreds of millions of dollars, and they all got the 2021 inflation call wrong. All of them. Uh, 400 PhDs, you know, the smartest guys in the room, apparently, and they somehow missed it, just like they missed the 2008 financial crisis. Nobody saw it coming, apparently, just just sort of happened. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing today. I mean, they come out and say, oh, we're just going to raise rates, 50 basis points, this meeting, next meeting, the meeting after that. The consumer is strong, that they can, the economy can handle it. And then there's going to be a financial accident. And whether that's a month from now or a year from now, it's going, oh, my God, nobody saw it coming. 
how did this happen? And, uh, you know, the 400 PhDs will be, will be wrong again. So it's funny. I was, I was chatting with, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was was chatting with John Malden a few years ago. So his, his assistant, they emailed me said, Hey, you know, John, when I have a chat with you, I'm like, okay, cool. I knew, I knew who he is, of course. And, uh, to get it set up. So finally we, we call, you know, we're on the phone together and we're, you know, the pleasantries are over. And he says, well, what, what do you want? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, well, why, did, why are you calling me? And I'm like, I didn't. You called me. <laughs> yeah, he's older than, back, he's older than you. Back and forth. Yeah, yeah, he's a bit older than me. We sort of went back and forth, everything. And then we both had a chuckle about it in, in the end. But, uh, you know, he's so he's an example. He's one of the early newsletter writers. And, uh, you know, if you follow his stuff, it, it's really interesting. But it, it causes you to, it forces you, it gives you the opportunity to, to think differently and to challenge the mainstream media and the headline stories that are out there. And I think, again, that's great today. There's a lot of these guys out there that you can access to. But don't call the guy for a friend because if, <laughs> if he's not expecting it, he's, gonna, he's not going to like that. Um, I just wanted to say, if you had uh, if you'd signed up to Acorn Macro Consulting uh, the, at the beginning of last year, you would have known uh, you would have known the inflation was coming and it was not going to be transitory. So that was a shameless plug on my part. I uh, do not have a, uh, do not have a PhD, although I kind of wish I had one. But one thing I think, just to touch back more seriously on on the hard truth thing, and to relate it sort of to the housing, which is, you know, we talked about this before and just to repeat ourselves, like no politician actually wants affordable housing. Let's be very clear about that. If affordable, affordable housing means house prices fall significantly relative to the wages that people earn and they will be, you know, and, and as voters, you know, what do we do? We're reactionary. We're, we're partly to blame for that because if house prices fall, we'd probably vote the people in charge out. Who knows? Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. But I think we share some part of responsibility with that respect to that. But the hard truth thing, I think, is really important. Now, I've, um, you know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, debt. Um, and and the, the reality is, is we need to become much, much, much more productive as a globe, as an economy, or we need to change our spending habits. And I mean this from a government perspective, as well as a household and consumer perspective, especially in Canada. Um, and this idea and the hard and the, the reality is, is you, you can push back this and no one from a political standpoint has no leadership really over the last little while has had the guts really to say this is not sustainable. We need to change the way we treat tax revenue and we need to improve our productivity. And until that conversation has happens, I don't think, you know, you have to if, if you know if you're you know, to use an extreme example, you know, if you're addicted, you know, if you're an alcoholic, unless you go to the AA meeting and say, hi, I'm Jerry, and I'm alcoholic, unless you admit to the problem, you can never sort of correct it and fix it. And I think governments all over the world, I don't think Canada's unique in this situation. They have, they refuse to sort of admit the problem. And the problem is that there's way too much debt and productivity and investment in that, what could improve productivity is way too low. Um, and you know, we're in a, we're, I think it's a generation of people who don't want to face hard truths. And Keith always speaks to sort of the opportunities that are available as a function of those hard truths. And to me, again, energy and oil like titillates me because it's a classic example of politicians, the media not admitting a hard and Mike, and my view, that's a very obvious, stupid truth 
which is, for example, that energy is very important from a strategic standpoint and oil is not going anywhere. But unless your leaders, your politicians, your media admit and kind of are, are, are articulate that um, and are, you know, have the confidence and strength of character to admit those hard truths, um, you never sort of fix those problems. And the corollary to that is they generate huge financial opportunities for people. Um, and I think, that, you know, and, and I think that that's why when Keith says, you know, there's lots of opportunities, lots of money to be made, it's because of that, you know, you exploit the lie and try to do the best for you and your family and your clients. I don't know, Keith, if you had something to add to that. Oh, you said one thing you did say that I'd never thought of before is uh, you say when, when governments want to create affordable housing, and I never thought of it for you to say, so what they're, you know, they don't want it because that means pricing comes down, you know, because we yeah, always of think of it as they, you know, they want to create low cost housing. Like that's what they're trying to say. But of course, you know, more affordable. Well, I, that I gotta, I gotta add to that, Keith. I was actually going to ask you as well, because like, think about like how much from a municipal government's tax revenue base is dependent on like new development charges and like property taxes and all that other stuff. Like, can you I touch, mean, can you, can you elaborate on that, Steve? Because there, there's some talk about, I keep seeing these articles about Toronto increasing their development costs, incredible yeah, amounts of money. Think, can you tell us about that? Yeah, my understanding is I haven't unpacked municipal government budgets, but I have chatted with like councillors and people that have run for mayor, et cetera, that are extremely well politically connected. And basically like they need new development. They need like condos being built because like, that they collect like that's the bulk of like their tax revenues that are coming in or is it like development uh, cost levies right so every time the developer wants to stick a shovel in the ground they take the, they take their their pound of flesh um so they get huge tax revenues from basically um you know new towers being built for example um obviously every time your asset goes up, your, your property goes up, like, you know, your property taxes are increasing. Yes. They adjust the mill rate. I understand that. Um, but in general, like that, that's how municipalities are collecting, um, the bulk, I think of their tax revenues. I, Keith, I was going to ask you, I don't know if you, if you had any sort of breakdown on municipal, uh, government budgets and whatnot, um, in terms of like how much is dependent from property taxes and stuff, but I, I know it's a huge chunk. No, no, I, I don't. However, um, I, I know a guy who knows a guy that knows that stuff. <laughs> 500 base. I'll come back. Points. I'll come Go back. Go on. <laughs> well, I think that's a good way to wrap it up uh, for this week is, uh, as always, stay nimble on your toes as uh, Jay Powell destroys us all. Um but uh, yeah, as, as we uh, always say on the show, all we ask that you share this episode with one family or friend and continue to build the Looney Hour community. Again, May 12th at the Rowing Club in Vancouver. We got 20 plus tickets left, 20, 25 tickets left. Uh, Keith will be there chopping wood with his bare hands. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a great time. Like I said, $7 beers. I mean, that's, that's cheap in an inflationary world. So um, come on out. Uh, like I said, a few tickets left. So, uh, we're looking to move those and uh, I'm sure they'll go pretty fast here. So as always, God bless, appreciate the sport and we'll see you next week.